and that planted a seed of hate um, for interracial couples at the time. You date your kind. You are, you. this is what you are, and this is who you date. That's when he asked me on a date. The only way you're gonna change somebody's mind is not by telling them you need not to be racist, is the person needs to see that the love that you can show. That's, you know, that's how Jesus did it. How does a person who is raised to dislike other races and another who is distrusting of white people find each other? How does a person change their perspective from that of their family of origin? How should brothers and sisters in Christ respond to racism? These questions and more we'll explore while getting real immersed in truth. Welcome to the Grit Podcast, getting real, immersed in truth, intersecting hard conversations with the gospel. We seek and speak the truth about what's going on around us. I'm your host, Rabrina Rettle, and this episode is our fifth and final episode in our series, Conversations in Black and White. Today, I'm speaking to a couple in an interracial marriage, which some would say is an unlikely one. I would call it a redemption story. Today, my guests are Angela and Ken Pillow, a couple in an interracial marriage who recently celebrated their 16th wedding anniversary. Happy anniversary. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much. Where, where did you grow up? And then how would you describe your upbringing? Well, I grew up, I grew up in Mobile, Alabama, through um, my mom, and she was a single mom of four. I was born in North Carolina, but all of our upbringing first or kindergarten through fifth grade was right there in a little town called Pritchard, um, predominantly black. In fact, I don't think I saw a white person until third grade. And that person was like the only kid in the only white kid in the school. And then um, we my mom moved here as a single mom to Lincoln, Nebraska when I was in fifth grade. And in fifth grade, I went to three elementary schools. My upbringing was basically very poor. Mom, um, I would say she sacrificed work and to raise us. So something I feel like we don't see a lot of. Um, so my mom gave up everything to invest in us and to raise us and to teach us. And she used the word of God to teach us. And she um, believed in his word and stood on his word. And so as a child, I saw the power of God and I believed. And um, when we got here to Lincoln, Nebraska, um, we start, their changes started happening after we got in like um, high school. So um, that's, we just were poor. We had food, we were on food stamps. Um, my husband and I have a lot of the same uh, experiences. So we both grew up like that. We had some of the same meals um, when mom didn't have a lot of food. <laughs> so we talk about our childhoods and they are actually completely similar, even though I was in Mobile, Alabama and he was in um, California. So. 
Okay, Ken, why don't you tell me about your upbringing? Where did you grow well, up? I was born and raised in Cal Madera, California. <clears throat> been was there. Oh, let's see. I've been here going on 19 years now. So I was there until I was what 24, 25, and then I moved out here to see my kids. But anyways, growing up there, you know, we uh, grew up poor, didn't have no money. Didn't, you know, some we moved a lot. I went to. I actually went to every. Uh, elementary school in my town in my hometown which was I think 17 of them because mm. <laughs> wow. so much and we got evicted a lot and, uh, but my you know when my childhood though was uh, just hustling all the time just like trying to make meals trying to get meals get uh, money for food get uh, you know always working always doing a little side hustle here and there I, I grew up when I was 10 I did mechanics. I was doing mechanics when I was 10 years old. And I used to work for this uh, older older man. And uh, I did sometimes 11 to 12 hours a day, and I get $10 a day working for him. And uh, Mr. But, Jackson. Mr. Jackson. But growing, up, but growing up with him, though, I learned a lot of the trades that I know today. I, I learned a lot of carpentry. A lot, a lot of my hustle came through, came through that whole family. He, he was a... Uh, family of his, they had 26 kids and so a lot of the kids I worked for a lot of them a lot of them were entrepreneurs and businessmen but in the construction field and so I did a lot of construction for a lot of his kids and whatnot and uh you know to say because I know my wife told you that I was uh I, I can't say that I was I hated black people I can't say that I was racist because a lot of the the uh knowledge I got today was from a majority of black people. The family that I, that I uh, grew up in, we did a lot of work with a lot of uh, people of color. Because my, my hometown, I was a minority. So I was actually, like in my school, I was one of five white people. In my school, is predominantly Mexicans there. But for the most part though, I mean, I had my own way I felt about people, but my family, was very very racist they didn't like you unless you looked like us and so a lot of that uh, mentality if you knew my family you knew i was a different breed i was cut from a different tree i wasn't the same i was the outcast of the whole family so growing up around that it was, it was a lot of hate and anger in my family i think because uh, for one to see other people make it and we were struggling all our life, you know. We we uh, tended to hate other people like that. But I was I, I I could say that that wasn't me. So my parents, they were. I I knew my mom, my dad. I never met. My mom recently passed a couple of years ago, but mm -hmm. my mom I grew, grew up with a stepdad, so he was kind of a jerk. But he showed me a lot of the, a lot of my mechanic uh, things because what he did was. When the uh, when we did mechanics, his hands were too big, so he had me doing it because my hands were smaller. So that's the reason why I started at such a young age. Mm -hmm. So you said that uh, when your family saw other people making it, so you did you feel like they blamed people of color for opportunities that they didn't have? No, it was anybody. It didn't matter what color you were. They didn't mm -hmm. like you. Mm -hmm. 
you know, they, it was because they they did they did that to me. they they still do that to me because they feel as if I because <clears throat> one one thing I did as I as I started progressing life I would be like mom look at look look what you basically it's like look what your son's doing and they hated that they thought I was bragging um, yeah they didn't like yeah they thought I was rubbing it in their face and because my stepdad throughout his career I remember I can remember uh, he had. I can remember this. He had 50 jobs. He never settled down, but that was what I remember. So I know he's had more than that. Mm-hmm. They got get, but he had a lot of great jobs, but he mm-hmm. just would quit them within uh, weeks, get a paycheck and quit. Cause he was a real bad uh, drug addict and alcoholic. Okay. So yeah. how did they instill the dislike or distrust? Like how did, how did their racism show up in your family? Well, the trust came from my mom, but the the racism thing, I can't say that because I had a lot of family members. The majority of my family members are pretty much pretty racist. I, I, I myself would take a person for who they are. I can't say that I would be like all black people are this way, all Mexicans are this way, all Asian people are this way because I, I grew up, my, my hometown, like I said, was predominantly Mexican, but like I knew I knew a lot of black people, but they they yeah it wasn't like I don't know, I'd say that there's probably more black people in Lincoln than there was in my hometown. But your best friend Tony. Yeah, my best friend was black, but we would uh, do some stupid things during the because it was more it was more of I wanted to fit in with my family. Mm-hmm. I tried to be part of them. Mm-hmm. But that never really stuck in my heart. But now the reason why I'm married to my wife is because I love this woman's heart. I don't love her skin, but I love the beauty that her skin makes her. But I love who she is. Mm-hmm. I see her as a beautiful black woman, but mm-hmm. that doesn't didn't make me love her or hate her any different. I didn't judge the fact like there, there's this uh, black woman over there. I want to go talk to her. And I know this is going to sound bad, but I was never a person to look at a woman for the color. I like women. <laughs> Period. However, when we first looked at it, there was a starstruck look and attraction on both ends that was unexplainable. Like right. we both. It was mostly from my side. <laughs> yeah. She put me off for a long time. <laughs> Wait, before we go to that part. How I wanted to know how both of you all felt about race in America before you all kind of got together. So, Gigi, you talked about you you didn't like when you saw interracial couples, and you kind of had a distrust. But then you met a woman who kind of y'all clicked. So, kind of talk to me about how you felt before you met her and you all became friends and then how you felt after you all met and became friends. Mm-hmm. Well, growing up in a predominantly black town as a child and then moving to Lincoln, Nebraska was super a big difference, just a huge difference. And then being here, you know, my mom did tell my brothers because there's four of us two girls two boys she did tell my brothers don't y'all bring no white girls home she told them that mm-hmm. then high school i had a crush on this young big dark skin and yeah 
courage to tell him. And when he responded to me, his response was, I'm sorry, you're nice and you're cute and fun, but I just prefer white girls. He straight out said that to me and that planted a seed of hate um, for interracial couples at the time. Mm-hmm. It really hurt my feelings. And in, I know it planted a seed because from that moment on, when I would see interracial couples, I would judge them. I would literally see a, a man in the store and assume that his mind frame was the same as the the young man mm-hmm. and that he didn't want me. Mm-hmm. He wanted, you know, so I would say things like, how you doing young man? How are you brother? <laughs> you know, I would kind of judge them straight yeah. out. Uh-huh. Nothing to do with me. I'm not, you know, whatever it is, I'm not cute enough or I don't take care of you, you know? So whatever that reason was, that seed was planted. And then I, um, continued. And as I got to know, you know, people, I I love, you know, I love all people. I always have. I just felt like there's too many differences from black and white and it would just never work. Mm -hmm. I wasn't racist as in, I don't think that races shouldn't be together. I literally just felt like there are way too many differences between us and the way we grew up that it just won't work. And then I came to um, kind of remember, you know, as my mom was bringing us up and making, having us pray for our future husbands, you know, she would have my sister and I get on our knees. She would have my brothers get on their knees and I'm thinking to myself, Mom, I'm seven. What, why are we praying for my future husband? But she would, I would still remember the way they would go because it was so often it would be like, Heavenly Father, give them good husbands in the name of Jesus, Lord. Bless them. The happy marriages, Lord. Like, why are you yelling at the Lord, Mom? Like, okay, thank you. And um, then it just kind of became a habit. And then in high school, from time to time, we'd still pray for our future husbands. And I accepted that I was going to have a wonderful husband, a wonderful marriage. I never said, even though my mom always said, be specific when you talk to God, because he cares about the little things. And I just never said, make sure he's black, Lord, because Mm -hmm. I didn't, he knew how I grew up. He knew Mm -hmm. that this that I'm praying for must have to be black. And I never even thought about it being a different race. I just wanted this man and I prayed and got to equip me for him. And it uh, ended up being in a white male that every single thing I prayed for, I wanted a man that could, you know, be a strong leader, a man that loved God, a man that was a wonderful home uh, father and a wonderful husband. And that was pleasing to the eye. And I just never knew that God would put it inside this man of God right here. (laughs) And I just assumed um, he would be black as a child growing up because what I knew. (laughs) So I wouldn't say sense of humor. He just did a wonderful job. God knows better than I know. That's what I learned. So, uh, how did you all meet? We met by me working with um, his sister. 
So, and that's kind of crazy because there was a two-year job and it's called AmeriCorps. So you do two years of service. You can reapply, but once you're done with your two years of service, you're pretty much done. So um, I applied with two of my friends. They got the job. I did not. They finished their two years and one of them got hired on full-time. The other one was done. And when she got out of there, I decided to apply again. And that time I got it. And then as I was working there a few months, uh, a new girl came and it was his sister and me and Connie, people ended up calling us Ebony and Ivory because we just clicked so well. And then I would babysit our kids. We would cook together. We would go places together. Um, plus we worked together. And then one day she said, my brother's moving here and he's a single father and he's so amazing, but she never said he was cute. She never said anything. She just said he was coming. And when he came here, he needed a babysitter and I would babysit his kids. And I was already impressed, you know, a single father of three boys. Wow. How did that happen? And so um, that's basically how we met. I ended up ba being his babysitter. And maybe the sixth time I babysat his kids, that's when he asked me on a date. And I actually was very surprised by that but by that sixth time i had fell completely in love with his children and i'm talking about just they were the sweetest kids at the time they were four six and seven and then my daughter was eight and i was a single mother of one he was a single father of three and they um just were the sweetest kids but when he asked me out i was trying to push him away by um, inviting him to go to Bible study with me. So, so did um, he know Jesus then? He did not know Jesus. Um, in fact, on the first night I babysat the kids, they um, wanted to help me with the dishes and I teach all children, you know, let's do everything as unto the Lord. I said, we're going to wash these dishes like we're washing them for Jesus. And these kids said, who is Jesus? I said, what? You don't know about Jesus. And I took them in the living room and I told them about Jesus and I don't even remember how I told them the story, but when I got done, they were crying. And the littlest said, I want Jesus to live in my heart too. And I said, you do? And I didn't ask permission. And I, you, I don't think you're supposed to do this, but I led them to Christ that night. And just their little hearts to please God, like immediately after hearing just that one time, just really blessed me. And so um, I just fell in love with them and I just continued to babysit them. And it was my favorite. Um, and when I babysit them, you know, my husband now, um, he was going to the clubs. Now I was done with the clubs, mm -hmm. you know? So when now I said, this is my exact words. Well, I don't go to places you go. And I'm still looking at him kind of judging because he's covered with tattoos and I really don't care for tattoos, especially for myself even though they're super neat now, but um, I said, but I'll go somewhere with you if you go somewhere with me. And he said, where? Anywhere. And I said, Bible study. And every other guy I tell that to, they, oh man, come on girl. You know, they do something. And he said, I'd love to. So he came for six months. Mm -hmm. And in that six months, I canceled every single date, which was probably three, three or four dates, date nights that we had set up. And we, I canceled all of them. <laughs> but he kept coming um, to Bible study every week for six months and he had lots of questions about the Lord and um, he was delivered in that six months. Hmm. 
So I have a question, Ken. Okay, so your sister, she must have been like you as far as not really believing what the family believed, but kind of on her own. Oh, yeah. My sister left the house early. Okay, so she had a different perception also. I thought I find that yeah. so interesting that you all were raised that way, but you you're you had a different mindset. So your mindset said, "Well, this well, my really mindset though was this, so because I didn't want to be anything like that. I didn't want to be in poverty. I didn't want to be hateful, and I didn't want nothing to do with that no more. And so what I did is I just took it upon myself because my my stepdad, like I said." He was a hustler, but on a different different type of a hustler. I right, hustle right. legally. I know mm-hmm. what it is like to hustle illegally, but today mm-hmm. I hustle legally. Mm-hmm. And, so, and mm-hmm. I, and one thing that was what one thing that's the hardest for me to grapple with sometimes, or the majority of the time, it's hard for me as a man to grapple with. Allow God to do it for you because I've done mm-hmm. everything myself. But I got to look back and know that yeah, I did it by myself. However, the the Man, Mr. Jackson, that helped me a lot. All his family was believers. His whole, his whole, his whole family was uh, churchgoers and whatnot. And I mean, don't get me wrong; they did some dumb stuff, but we all do. But uh, God was very evident in their life, though. And uh, uh, yeah, they. Uh, I learned a lot from them. I would love to look them up today, though, but I, I ain't never tried. I ain't never tried. I don't know where that. But anyways, yeah. So yeah, that's a. Uh, I just couldn't. I just couldn't see myself going down in the road in poverty. I couldn't see me being a parent the way they parented me, because I wasn't the middle child, but I was the lost child. They, mm. I was the kid that was the remote, the the light switcher offer, the do the dishes, the mow the mow the yard, mm-hmm. do the laundry. I, I was the everything kid. I was mm. the kid that had everything. And, you know, when, when my stepdad, my stepdad went to prison for a couple of years for uh, DUIs. And so in that time, I had to support my family. I had to support my mom and my brother and sister. Mm. You know, my mom had to sit at home and watch them, so I had to go to work. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've been working since I've been about nine, ten years old. So. Mm-hmm. As far as their thoughts and views of people of color, they just didn't like them, period. You date your kind. You are you. This is what you are. This is who you date. I could say I'm a mom. My mom wasn't more. She was more of the type to do whatever to keep peace. Mm. My mom was a very loving and caring person, though. But she didn't know how to be loving and caring plus please people at the same time. Mm. So she was a pleaser. And so whatever my stepdad wanted her to do, she would do it. Okay. If he was like, hate these people, hate these people. That's what she would do. Mm. Okay. And so as I was growing up, he didn't even allow her to love on me. Mm. Mm. He didn't like me because I wasn't a kid. He had two kids with her. Mm-hmm. Those ones that he loved. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's why I was, I was the way I was. You know, I got uh, beat a lot. Yeah, it was, it was a bad deal. Mm-hmm. Today I am who I am because God allowed me to go through that. So what was it about... Uh... Gigi that uh, drew you to her to be real to be 100% real though she was banging when I first seen her and I was like dang 
she is fine. And I was very shallow, though. I really was. I was looking at her outer. And then I got to know her. And it, it, she was very, it's not, not manipulative, but like, a, what's the word? Like mesmerizing. Her, though, but once I got to know her and got to, got to see her with my kids, because they loved her. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, not saying I was looking for somebody to help, but I was looking for help. You know, it, it was. Struggle, man. The struggle was real with those boys. Those boys are something else, man. But, okay, yeah. so you all went on, went to Bible study. That's kind of how you did your dates. And then yep. six months in, you came to Christ. You came to know right. uh, Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And um, go ahead. So, how did you? When did you decide to propose? And and how did you do that? Well. So a little backstory on that. So I went to church when I was younger with, when I, cause I went to, uh, I had to go to rehab when I was eight. So I had to go to church. That was part of the, part of the program. When you so were 18, knew, you said? When, when you were 18? 18 I, yeah, I had to go to rehab. And so I knew about church, but I didn't know about God. Mm. And, so, and there was a couple people that was, like I said, there was a couple people that was pouring into my life, but they never talked about God. They just talked about like, the uh, the uh, the, uh, the fruit, you know, and they showed a lot of fruit. <clears throat> and so, when I met her, she started telling me about. Because I remember, I still remember this. And she said, "Let go of the will and let Jesus, let God drive." I'm like, "I ain't let go of the will because we ain't gonna die. I'm driving this car." And I was literally talking about a car. I didn't know what she was talking about. Uh, Bible study, and kept knowing about, you know who Jesus is, what he'll do for you, that without him, you can't make it. And when mm-hmm. I'm being my, you ain't going to heaven. Mm-hmm. No heaven. At first, I don't want to go to hell, you know, so I accepted Christ in my life. But anyways, through, uh, I know who he was. I learned a lot uh, through that situation and whatnot. But she said she was leaving. She's moving with her dad in North Carolina, mm-hmm. North Carolina. And I wasn't having that. And so I went that week before Bible study, bought the ring and asked her to marry me at Bible study. So, and you all both, you all serve together. Um, talk to, talk a little bit about how you all serve together. Serve the Lord together. Okay, okay, okay. We serve everywhere together, mostly because I was working for a nonprofit and it was my favorite job because I love people, I love families, and yep. I worked a lot of hours and a lot was asked of me. And it, it might be a weakness of me to say no. And I thought it was okay because I'm serving the Lord and this is ministry. And so sometimes the only way we could really see each other more through the week is we would serve together. So if there was a booth, my family was there. If there was an event, my family volunteered. Anything I did, my entire family. And now um, we did that from the time our kids were little. So we served as a family. Mostly it started because we wanted to give back. I started seeing fruit in my children. Mm -hmm. 
we wanted to give back and we would just volunteer for events. And when it was over, instead of just going home, I was showing my children as an example, we let's let us give back. So we would start sweeping, we would pick up chairs, we would wipe tables. And that's kind of how it started. And then it turned into a job, a part-time job, and then it turned into a full-time job. And when it went full-time, it was over full-time. And I enjoyed every moment of it, but it did turn out to be a little strenuous on our marriage as far as spending time together as a family. And so I grew through that. And after eight years, I felt a very clear um, calling to quit the job and um, pour into my family and invest in my family. And it was time for me to say yes to my family first. And again, didn't see anything wrong with it when I was doing it because I just felt like because for God. But... I- I made it very clear to me. So even maybe less than 30 days after I quit my job, um, we had a scary moment where my husband had a small, um, it was a stroke. Mm. And he's very fit and he's young, you know, barely, I think he's 42 at the time. It was um, two years ago. He was 42. And so two weeks after I quit, um, my husband was in the, we stayed the night at the hospital on Valentine's Day. And that was a scary moment for me. And just the thought of possibly losing him and just understanding clear as day, what would all of those hours of, you know, serving in the community. And I missed spending time with my family. I would have just been heartbroken if I would have lost him. And he's just so sweet. Like even that night he was saying, I got you a room on Valentine's Day. (laughs) And he was just so sweet. But just the thought of losing him really um, broke my heart, woke me up and a lot flashed in front of me. And just to see like, oh my gosh, look what we've made it through. Like literally one of his tattoos on his neck Mm-hmm. cover a racist um mark it was a racist tattoo mm-hmm. so he overcame being brought up to hate and to be racist and i overcame being angry for being rejected because of my skin color <laughs> and mm-hmm. um also just my mom saying kind of the same thing you marry your own kind kind of thing um but before my mom passed which was in 2007 she fell in love with this young man too i I still remember her telling me um after she got to know him she said to me because my name's angela my nickname is Gigi. she said and she but that day she called me angela she said angela if you are going not going to do right by that young man you need to leave now i could see it in his eyes he's been hurt a lot don't you hurt that young man he's been through a lot and she's never cared about any relationship i've been in Mm -hmm. so i will tell you like she you know we i think we were married we got married in 2004 so we were married for about three years when she passed um we were right by her side all of her kids including my husband and um, I felt like she was very pleased to know that 
I had a mate mm. for life. Mm-hmm. Knew she knew that he would take good care of us. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's beautiful. I love that. Oh, speak on the serving. So when I first met her, she was doing, you know, Lincoln Action Program was a lot of volunteers there. And so every time it would rain, because I'm in construction, every time it would rain, we would get rained out for work. So I would come over there and volunteer to just to be with be next to her. And what I, I don't think she knew that the whole time, though. But, you know, I'd come over there and just help just to be there next to her. How are you all feeling about what's going on in America right now with um, race and things brought to the forefront about uh, racial injustices and you know, for black people, we've been seeing it for a while. And even for white people who have a connection in the black community, you know, they have been um, known for a while what's been going on. But now that it's come to the forefront and people who may not have known before are paying attention, um, how, what do you feel about that? And, and what do you think that is going to go for us as a country? Right. I want, to, I want to speak on that real quick. One thing, though, is that I don't like is I don't like to see a bunch of phony people on TV that have a lot of money talking about they're sorry. You all ain't sorry for nothing. Y'all just fear. Y'all just want to keep going with what you're doing. So I wish these people that are got like, if you want to do something, do it in the in, in, behind closed doors. Start giving money. Y'all got so much money, but y'all sitting up in your house, you know, talking, you know, one thing about this whole coronavirus thing, you know, when they're saying we all in the same boat. Now I'm in my little box, cardboard box, y'all in your yacht. So we ain't in the same boat. You know, we in the same ocean. However, though, your boat is luxurious. Mine's about the same. <laughs> if, if people really want to change, then start doing something that's going to change. Don't talk about it. Be about it. You know, and I mean, like people that, you know, these people that got all these hired, you know, they're, they're, they're up in the media, you know, they got, they, they got clout, you know what I mean? Their, their, their voice matters. You know, the little man don't matter, you know, cause I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, we're out here protesting, doing whatever though, but at the end of the day, they go into their house, shut their doors and they ain't got to hear about it no more. Only way you're going to change somebody's mind is not by telling them you need not to be racist is the person needs to see that the love that you can show. That's, you know, that's how Jesus did it. You know, you, 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 uh, love covers a multitude of sin. And when he says that, he's talking about he is the love. You know, God is love. So he's the one that covered all that sin. The only way you're going to reach anybody is through Christ. You know, this hate and anger that's out there, it's sad that it's out there. Only way, only way for it to be fixed is through Christ. We, and I know that we all should know that as believers. We should. My question is this, though. What if there's a racist who calls himself a Christian? Because I know some of those. <laughs> there's, but, we, but we know the truth. As long as you know the truth, the truth is you cannot be a believer and hate people. Thank it's the Bible. That's the Bible. That's the Bible. You can't hate your brother and love Christ. You can't. It's impossible. Because God is love. That's, yes. that's, that's a word that, that's a simple phrase we need to hear is God is love. Mm-hmm. And for you to be saying that you're about God, but you hate somebody, not by no means, but just because of the way they look. I don't care if they're black, Asian, white. If you hate somebody just because of the way they look, that ain't God. There you go.
there are good things and bad things happening in our world because mm -hmm. of it. We do have some people getting involved. Um, we do have people stepping out, stepping up to the plate and trying to do things to make a change. Um, but yeah, I'm really hurt that we can't look at the world as one race. You know, we're the human race. It's really sad, but it's real. But rejoice on the differences. Yeah, we should celebrate our differences. Yes. And, and um, so, and it is hard too, because if some injustice is done, is it because I'm black or is it because you're a jerk? You know, you, right. you I don't think we, we will right. even know. Not everything is racist. Yeah, People not everything. Mean. And so um, there's a lot of opportunists out here taking advantage of um, the fact that a magnifying glass is put out and people are quick to point the finger and call you a racist. And, you know, only God knows our hearts. Right. Um, and I love what my husband said. Um, love covers a multitude of sin. And it's so sad and it's so unfair, but we got to love on these people. We got to love them right where they are. Um, because if we believe God's word, then hate won't win you know and the enemy is defeated already anyway so this is a war and um he should be using our tools using god's word as tools and it's just really sad um, but i think there are a lot of beautiful things coming out of it a man will never know what it's like to be pregnant but he can still go through it with us you know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. even though you will never really understand what it's like to be born black and experience racism, um, I appreciate that you would acknowledge it. I'm, I'm thinking right now about a dinner I went to with a close friend and she was white, but the waitress did not acknowledge me, did not look at me. And it was so apparent, like this waitress was like, well, and what does she want to eat? And then they, and wouldn't even look at me. And the waitress even talked to her, you know, and, and made chit chat laughing and, um, okay, okay. You know, it was so weird. Um, but didn't acknowledge me. And when we left, my friend was like, what's wrong? Are you okay? And I was like, you didn't see that? And she was just like, no, everyone is the same to me. And that's great that you see life like that, but you still should acknowledge that everybody doesn't see that. You still should acknowledge that that happened. And she like literally had to think like, oh, well, I'm sorry. I just, I just don't see color and you know we've heard it before i'm colorblind that's great that that's a lie right that is a lie yes i it, that is not true it's so sad to um not be realistic and acknowledge that racism still exists and since um we're not really again only god knows the heart of people um it's hard to not feel like well they were discriminating against me at times because sometimes they don't come right out and call you um, a racist word mm -hmm. it's just that um it, i feel like it's going to take a lot of prayer i feel like people need to step up to the uh front line and start getting involved and um i just feel like we need to be real 
mm-hmm. and just kind of hard conversations. Yes. So I pre- I appreciate you even giving us an opportunity to share, but we are proof that love covers and that you can be redeemed and that God can help you. So for some reason, you know, I think about when I was a little girl and mom was having us pray for our future husbands. He was meeting people along the way that he was spilling love and he was spilling genuine, um, feeling the spirit of God and didn't even know what it was. Like mm-hmm. God was people and his three kids are biracial you know like when Mm -hmm. I met him this white guy with these three little mixed boys (laughs) are you kidding me and you know and then they have these bible names Isaiah Jonah Elijah like are you all spelled wrong they're all spelled (laughs) different but in fact talking about tattoos his they're tattooed on his back spelled wrong that's really um, a, a story of how God can come in and his light can outshine the darkness. And mm. so I believe that we still can stand on his word and we can look at the darkness and call it light. That's the only thing we can stand on. And that's it. I mean, we, we just need to uh, face truth and God is, you know, his word is the way, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. Mm-hmm. And so, at this point, instead of, you know, because we don't have cable, we don't get to hear everything. And so we we kind of choose to pray right now, just lots of prayer. So we're, we're on our knees, we're praying, and we don't have the answers, but I believe with all my heart that God does. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just praying for these hearts, and we have to have a heart change our nation in our community mm-hmm. so if we don't start training you know if we don't start training these kids to for one if you feel an injustice talk about it mm-hmm. if you feel uh, said something to you a certain way talk mm-hmm. about it you know don't just go being hurt talk about it we're gonna need though a lot of grace love mm-hmm. a lot of forgiveness or we are not going to make it. Right. We, you, you have to give grace. You have to show God's love, even when people don't deserve it. Mm. So if we can just take a moment and put down our stones, mm. mm-hmm. you know, and just realize that sometimes we are both the woman about to be stoned that's being judged, but mm. sometimes the ones with the stone. Mm-hmm. So can we love them? Can we love the woman that's about to be stoned that has this sin? Like, are we going to judge her? That's the, I can't believe she did that. <laughs> yeah, that's the mm-hmm. thing. Can we love a racist person? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I believe that through Christ we can. Mm-hmm. And I believe that it speaks volumes um, to show God's love to someone that doesn't, in our head, doesn't deserve it. Because Ain't that what we get every day? Mm-hmm. We don't deserve the love that we get from God, but he gives it to us. Really? He, he is faithful even when we're not faithful. Mm-hmm. And that kind of love blows my mind. Mm-hmm. But we got to eat his word every day so that we'll be able to show it. Because there's times when we miss the mark. <laughs> there's times when we miss opportunities. 
uh, lots of times. My husband being tattooed up, he get, I'd be like, I wish somebody would say that stuff to me. He gets these people coming up to, he gets the most amazing opportunities to minister to people that uh, are, you and I would not, you and I won't even get it. But right. I mean, it's right. someone that goes up to him and they, think or assume he's racist or something and they'll say something crazy and he gets these amazing opportunities and I wish somebody would say that stuff to me so I could say something and speak love into their life and you know so it's it's a hard thing but I just feel like um, it's real and we don't need to ignore it and I'm glad that people are finally seeing it and I also see a lot of people trying to understand and just kind of going back to the woman's being pregnant, but the man is not going to get it. He's not going to get it completely, but you can still go with me. You can still hold my hand. You can still understand that I'm going through something painful. All this stuff happening in our nation has um, just brought us to our knees because mm -hmm. I don't understand why. I mean, we get it. I just don't understand why some people are just in their heart not going to like you because you were born. You know, and, and I think a lot of people, if they need to, they need to ask themselves, why do I feel this way? Mm -hmm. And when you get to the root of the thing, root is because that's that's the way you grew up. That's what you was told. Because mm -hmm. oh, that. Hey, it's taught. Mm -hmm. Racist taught. Because we can see it in babies. If a baby sees another baby, it doesn't care what color the baby is. If, if, nothing, if nothing's getting talked about and nothing's getting done, all we're going to do is just end up exactly the same, back at the same spot. We're going to circle back around. How, we got to also remember, though, we are in an imperfect world. Very evident. We're just falling for the lie, falling for the lie, falling for the, the enemy's tricks, man. Yeah. And, and you, you could see, like, if you, if people was to read their Bible, like, dang, he knew, you know. And so, it, it, back to the Bible. That's what we need. Yes. That's why, not our knees. That's yes. all I can. Know. Well, I want to thank you all for sitting down with this conversation. Um, it was really good to hear how you all came together and how you overcame preconceived notions and things you were taught when you were younger and to see that God is love and that he can cover everything and he can cover everyone. So I just want to thank you for the time that you spent with us today. And thank you for, for having My pleasure. Gigi's love for Jesus brought the two to a place where they could find a common thread. It seems in the experience of suffering and hard times, they were able to see they were more similar than different. The theme of redemption is weaved all throughout Ken and Gigi's story. It's visible in their personal stories and in their story as a couple. They have seen what God can do and how the love of Christ can change hearts. I will pray alongside them, and I ask you to join me as we pray for open eyes, changed hearts, healing for one another, healing for our country and around the world. I hope you enjoyed the series of Conversations in Black and White. Let me know what you think. 
Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your pods. Connect with me on Instagram at Rubrina Rettle and my Grit Podcast Facebook page and my blog, rubrinarettle.wordpress.com. The podcast is produced by me, Rubrina, and Handcrafted Studios. Original music by Handcrafted Studios, composer Michael Coffey. Until next time, keep your grit up by getting real while immersed in truth. Thank you.